Welcome to episode 32 of Auto Off Topic. I'm your host, Andrew. And I am Brad. How you doing, Brad? Pretty good, yourself? I'm doing well. Enjoying our first nice day in a while? Yeah. Not to bring up weather again, as we always do, but it's finally sunny outside. Yeah, it's been raining a lot, and yeah. then it get it would get, like, sunny. Actually, last weekend was really nice. It was a break in the rain for, like, 24 hours. Which was cool, because it was a nice entire, like, the weekend was entirely nice. I don't mind if it rains during the week, just when you're off on the weekend, it's nice when it's not raining. Right. Especially because we went to Seacoast Cars and Coffee on Saturday. We did. It was a uh, a a good show. It was a uh, it was our um, poopy prize for not being on the east on the west coast and being able to go to Radwood. So we did the local cars and coffee out here. Yeah, or go to STPR, or and we chose not to go to GRC. Yeah, and we also picked not to go to Greenwich. 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 Yeah, concourse. Concourse de elegance. Just simply because it was easier for us to get there. Yeah. It was local, it was quick, it was easy. It wasn't a whole weekend commitment. Nope. Uh, although we would much rather have been in California at Radwood. Yes. But anyway. Because there was not enough Mitsubishis. We wouldn't have had a car there probably, but maybe next year. Maybe. We'll plan this. Yes. So anyway, uh, the other thing about the Seacoast Cars and Coffee was we, for the first time, got to meet listeners that weren't friends and family. Yes, it was actually really cool. Yes. We had people seek out us, which is bizarre and strange and weird, um, but we don't look at, look down on it. It's awesome. It's no. Great. No. It was really cool to see that kind of like appreciation of what we're doing, so well, thank you. Yes, we appreciate it. It was a... Um, well, it's, I guess it's easy to find us because we have... Our cars are kind of unique... Right. In a sea of new Volkswagens and Mustangs, we kind of stood out a little bit, I think. Yeah. Although, all right. So I guess we want to thank um, Steve. Yep. And Katie uh, and Dave. Who Correct. Came by. Uh, Steve and Katie drove a long time, like two hours to the Cars and Coffee, too, yeah. which is even cooler. So um, Steve has a pretty sweet collection of cars. Yeah. Uh, I think his standout is his um, TE72 Corolla wagon. Yeah, what year was that? I, I'm going to like say it wrong, like 82, I think. A, early 80s. But it's a woody wagon. Yeah. Like, for the, the fake wood sides. Uh, it's really cool. Um, and it appears can, to be like a one of one or something. One of very few. <laughs> yeah, one of very few. Like nobody really knows anything about it or can um, find anything about you it. You can see pictures of it on his Instagram page, which is Disco Steve. Disco Steve. Um, it's disc zero, like the, like the number zero yeah. underscore Steve on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool car. And uh, hopefully someday if he ever decides to sell it, one of us can buy it because it belongs <laughs> It belongs in the auto off-topic realm. Unfortunately, <laughs> he didn't bring it because he, he said he had some issues with some Watsonabis he bought. He bought a secondhand set of Watts yeah. for it. And unfortunately, one of them was a slightly different offset and it wasn't figured out until it was too late. Yeah. So he's looking for another. I wish I knew what size it was. Oh, yeah, that'd be helpful, for, wouldn't it? And we could ask if anybody had one. But I I did ask, and I didn't write it down, and now I forget. So, Steve, I apologize. Send us a link, a message, and uh, we'll ask on air next week. <laughs> yeah, Steve Steve comments on our Facebook page. So if you see him on there and you have Watsonabes, 
Yes. Actually, fun fact, Steve was one of our coloring contest winners. Yes. And I famously have not sent him a prize yet. Yes. As well as our other coloring contest winners. Sorry, everybody. Brad is lazy and broke and awful. And then while we were, we were talking to Steve, uh, Dave, who is StuntNuts4130 on Instagram, Instagram, yep, walked up and was like, hey... It's you guys from our topic. Yeah. And we're Brad like, and Andrew? Like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I listened to your show. And I was like, wow, this is yeah. ridiculous. We'll but take it, was, it. So yeah. really cool to meet them. Both super cool people. And now uh, I really wish I had stickers. I'm going to have to get yeah, stickers Yeah, I'll get some stickers made. Um, but it was really cool meeting all the people, all the all the fans, I guess you could say, of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we certainly encourage that if we say we're going somewhere and you want to come by, come by and say hi, please. We love meeting new people and we... You know, expand our world a little bit. Yeah, we talked cars for quite a while. So yeah, yeah, we were ready to leave, and then we met Steve, and we were there for probably another hour, hour and a half yep. just talking to them. So, cool day. And then our sort of local rallycross acquaintance, uh, Pat. Yep. Who is Mud Hen Racing on Instagram? Mud Hen, yes. Don't search it the way you told me to search it originally. I don't remember what it was. Uh, I think it was Dirty Hen. Oh, yeah. You told me it was Dirty Hen. <laughs> and if you search Dirty Hen, you get a lot of, we'll call it adult-oriented okay, so. hentai cartoons. <laughs> so Mud Hen Racing is yes. what it is, not Dirty Hen Racing. Yeah, I think Mud, like Rally My mud. phone will never be the same <laughs> because of Andrew's poor suggestion on how to find his... Couldn't his remember what it was off the top of my head. Yep, and it was awful. But Pat's got uh, an awesome R53 Mini Cooper. So the new... The first generation of the BMW Mini Cooper. So the supercharged one. The supercharged one. Right. Uh, I can't remember what year it is, but he's got it lifted on Clubman Springs, and the interior has got like a half cage, and it's stripped out. Yep. Pretty hardcore racing seats in there. Yep. And rallycross tires that he drove there. Yeah, he drove to the car show on pavement on dirt tires. Yeah. He said it was humming along like a Jeep with like 4x4 tires. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. Is but cool. it looks the part when it's got the tires on it. And we saw the car when it was running at the rally cars we went to with Jordan. Yes. And then you probably saw it at Stowe. Yep, no. you're in Stowe as well. Yeah. The thing sounds mean. It sounds car. really good, and he's really fast in it. And yeah. he's a genuinely nice guy, so. Yeah. If you ever see Pat rolling around, you know, talk minis with him, talk rally with him. Yeah. He'll, he'll talk your ear off, too, so. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what were uh, some of your standouts from Local Cars and Coffee? This Cars and Coffee, by the way, is uh, Seacoast Cars and Coffee, and they have an Instagram page or a Facebook page, at Seacoast Cars and Coffee. Yes. Um, I, I wish I remember the name of the coffee shop that put it on, because it's in the parking lot of a Cinemagic um, theater. So it's a local coffee shop up there that put it on, and it's a pretty good coffee. They give away free coffee. They give away free coffee. And, and they, they had a DJ playing nice music. Yeah. It wasn't like typical like middle-aged man car show, 50s doo-wop. It was... Pretty good mix of like 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000 music. It's so. like, it reminded me of, it's basically Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack stuff. I've never seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Any of them? No, I know. I'm awful. I should watch them, especially with Maria. Oh, she'll like it. I know she'll like it. We love superhero It's movies. totally, it, no, and it's totally cool for kids. Like it's. Yeah. No, we, like we just watched um, Doctor Strange. We finished that last night. Yeah. So we're definitely into the whole superhero Marvel thing. So it'll work yeah. out. But I said, for some reason, we haven't watched those ones yet. No, you should watch those. Anyway. Yeah, what was some uh, of your uh, favorite standouts? Well, we spotted it was kind of we spotted the top of it, the roof line as it came in, and we were like, "Oh, cool, an FJ Cruiser, FJ forty is coming." Forty, yeah, um, is rolling in, and then it kept going. Right, the, the top stopped, and the thing kept going. I was like, "That's a weird looking FJ 40 So it turns out it was. I put a picture of it, I believe, on my Instagram. 
Yes. On or it's, on, it's either on Race and Anger or Auto Op Topic on Instagram, so you can see it. If you want to play along the uh, look at Instagram game. Uh, it is a right-hand drive import from Australia. A long wheelbase. A long wheelbase. Which would have been called a, a troopie. It was a troopie, yeah. but it was converted for Australian mining by putting a short wheelbase cab on it and then using the rest of it as a pickup bed. Right. So it was the long wheelbase that you would see troopy like a troop carrier kind of style yeah um but not shortened just with a short cap on it yeah so it kind of reminded me of do you remember the jeep scramblers back in the 80s the cj5 base cj7 base they were cj8s because they were yeah. long wheelbase yeah and they had a short roof so but it was a little bit longer than that roof wise because it sat six people and it originally i said two bench seats in it so they could put six miners in the vehicle and all their mining gear in the bed in the back and drive them deep into the mines yeah. So it was really cool. And the guy imported it like 10 years ago, um, just before the market was crazy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and he loves it. And, and it had he, giant rhubarb on the front. It was a really cool looking box. It was a cool looking car, too, that like yeah. camel yellow. Yep. Very cool truck. And he had done the Vermont Overland Rally with it in 2013. Yes. Um, and he may do it again this year. We were talking to him about that. So super nice guy, super cool truck. Yep. Uh, there was also a Testarossa. Yep, like a. <laughs> I was telling my father about the show later on in the day, and he goes, "Oh, like an old Testarossa," and my mind immediately said, "Yes, they still make Testarossas." Yeah, what would what would a new one be? Um, but apparently, because my father is you know older than us, obviously, yeah, um, a new Testarossa to him is a 1985 Testarossa. Oh. As compared to, like, a 1957 Testarossa. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> so yes. I was a little confused when I said that, but <laughs> it was cool to see an 80s Testarossa because you don't see them ever because they're no. kind of expensive cars to run. Yeah, those are, are they a flat 12? Yeah, flat a Boxer 12. Oh. It was, right. pretty, it was a pretty amazing car. Yeah. I mean, I guess they were kind of more looks and performance kind of thing compared to some other Ferraris, probably. They're probably very fast, but I guess, like, this other cars are better. They exemplify 80s success. Yeah, they're, it was awesome. So so we 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 may not have made it to Radwood, but we have we, we saw the car that should have been at Radwood. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then we saw a 930. Yeah, uh, there was a, Turbo. a beautiful red 930. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, but the other cool stuff, there's some neat, a couple neat vintage things that Datsun pick up. Yeah. The original Datsun pickup, like a 69, 68. Before, it was original? Or was, oh, the original. The, the original style pickup they sold oh. here. Although the second, that was a second generation pickup they sold here. Yeah. Do you think it was restored or? Oh, it was definitely restored. Yeah. yeah. It was just stunningly gorgeous. Yeah. It's nice to see people spending money on those. Yeah. It had a window sticker with it from a California dealer. So it was a West Coast truck at one point, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it was restored. I mean, I don't think they were that nice from the factory. And if they were, then Datsun was way ahead of the game. Yeah. But it was beautiful. And then parked right next to it is the picture I used for the questions. Carmen Ghia. The Carmen Ghia. Yeah, which, which I have a soft spot for those. I, that was a really cool looking Carmen Ghia, too. I liked all the white. Yeah, the light white steels. Yeah. yeah. They were widened steels in the back. And it was low, but it wasn't like scraping the ground low. So no. it was functionally low. It looked really good. Neat. And then there was an E21 next to it that was all white. Yeah. Then, yeah, 320 or 323. Yeah, with like a front urethane air dam and some yellow fogs. That was pretty cool. I think it had white letter tires too, which I don't hate on those cars. I don't remember. I took a picture and I could look. But yeah, it's not worth it that much. No. Uh, and then there was an original Mini, which was kind of interesting to see because you occasionally see those pop up around here. Yeah, they're not very common. No. Um, 
couple of hot rods. But the other thing that we noticed, and it was really only because we stopped to talk to Steve and Katie. Steve actually pointed it out because it was kind of parked off to the side. It yeah. wasn't in the main lot. Yeah. And he was like, oh, there's some like Porsche over there. And I kind of well, spotted it. Well, he was like, it. oh, there's C356 over there. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it, I kind of spotted it and it was like dark blue and basically it looked exactly like the new Hot Wheels casting that we talked about. Yeah. Probably. Almost to a T. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably where the inspiration came for, for the Hot Wheels casting. Oh, yeah. 100%. Because it turns out that this was the original Outlaw 356 car. Like the original one. The car that was built and coined the term Outlaw. Yes. It was Rod Emery's car that he built in 1990. And yeah. we know that because after I posted a picture to Instagram. Well, it had Rod Emery's name still on the door. Yes. And we were like, is this really an Emery car? And then it had actual like rally stickers from different events in California. Yeah, like still tech on the stickers roll bar. on the roll bar, yeah. And we're like, oh, this is really an Emery car. And like, what is it doing in New Hampshire? Yeah, like real patina on the nose and like it's definitely a driven car yeah so anyway i posted it to our instagram page and then i tagged a couple of people that i know know porsches like bradley brownell and yep. their podcast came to tub and uh manuel carrillo uh chimed in and he apparently tagged rod emery yes who is rod emery on face on instagram yeah rod at rod emery yes if so, you don't know who Rod Emery is, look up his, his page. You can basically see what he builds there. Yes. Amazing. So Rod he commented that this car in about 2010, he put up for a charity auction. And yes. it, it ended up in Texas and then was later sold to somebody who owns it in New Hampshire. Yeah, that, which is, explains what it was doing there. But yeah. It was, I, I was, uh, you know, I don't say I was starstruck, but to see that Rod Emery commented on our Facebook page made my heart flutter a little that night. Yeah. Because <laughs> I am a huge fan of him and his builds. Yeah. And actually, you can listen to uh, the Car Stories podcast. It's episode 123. That's the story of Rod Emery. That's Rod Emery. Yeah. And yeah. It, it basically, goes... he was building 356 hot rods before it was cool to build 356 Really, hot any rods. Porsche hot rods. Yeah. Because it was very poo-pooed upon to yeah, modify. Yeah, it was a very stuffed shirt restoration concourse crowd. Yes. And he went out there and he was like, these are cool cars, but I want to make it faster and just make it more badass. And that's where the term outlaw basically came from. Yeah. In the, so, the short version of that story. We'll call Rod Emery the grandfather of the outlaw Porsche. Yes. So that that was super cool to see. And it's like, I don't know, the car just like. It just works. Like, it's just... So it, it, it exudes, like, a presence about it. Like, yeah. the car is just... It sits right. It sounded right. I mean, everything about the car is yeah. amazing. And it just makes me that much more angry that 356 Porsche prices are so outrageous. Yeah. Because they really just squash beetles. They are. Yeah. But I really want one, but I'll never afford one. So yeah. maybe someday I'll build a fiberglass kit. Maybe. Because even those are cool. I guess. And they do a coupe now, too. Of course, they didn't used to do a kit, a coupe kit. They only did yeah. the roaster kit. Just build a hot rod beetle. The Porsche is so good looking. Or, I mean, I'm not really into beetles as much. I think the Gia Coupes are way better looking. I think the Gia Coupe is more of a 356 substitute than a beetle is. I would rather have a Gia Coupe than a... I have a beetle. soft spot for Gia's. Remember my father's that he had back when I was in high school? Yeah. That I used to drive around. I love that thing. So. It was a cabriolet, but still. It was, but it was still a cool car. It had the the semi-automatic three-speed. Yeah. It was hardly a race car, but what a fun car to cruise around yeah. high school years with. But, yeah. No, Gia's are pretty cool. I would definitely drive one of those. 
Yeah, but we so we finally saw a legit outlaw Emery car. I never thought I didn't I'd, even have to go to California to do no, it. No, I never <laughs> thought I'd see it out of SoCal. So yeah, so pardon us as New England car people for rambling on about this one individual car. Well, but California people probably are spoiled and see them all the time. It's also you know it goes back to when we had Alex Grabow on the, on the podcast and he talked about that New England conservatism. Conservatism. Uh, yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? The conservative New Englanders. Yes. They're not Yankee exactly conservatism. Yankee conservatism. Yeah, they don't show off their stuff. Because I've much. never seen that car at any other events. No. Or... no, and we've been to like German Car Day, which is like the car show in the area to show off your fancy German cars at. Yes. Or different Porsche shows. We've gone to Porsche, Porsche Day, Porsche too. days that we've, we've seen, you know, all these cars that we've never seen that car. So it was cool to see it at just this Thing. very laid-back, non-judged cars and coffee. Yep. So anyway... That was pretty cool. Oh, um, by the way, uh, you mentioned um, Manuel Carrillo. Yes. Um, he His Instagram, which everybody should follow because he takes great pictures and videos, Yes, is uh, MC3 Films. Yes. So don't forget that part. Okay. Uh, and while we're on it, because we were talking about Porsche experts, so our friends over at Camden Tub Podcast, I just want to say congratulations on 200 episodes. Yes, and we'd like to extend a special thanks to them because, like, the past three episodes straight, yes, they have just, like, stuck in plugs for us without, like, any kind of asking or prodding. So, so. if you're a new listener and you're coming over from Camden Tub, we thank you for, yes. for giving us a try. And if you're an old listener who hasn't listened to Camden Tub... Yeah, go give, give those guys a try. Give them a listen. Um sit through cam's beach boys talk they talk a lot of cool stuff about porsches uh and they're both cool guys so yep they also talk japanese cars so they do we like them for that too so cam anyway. actually has a not very often mentioned super low mile fc rx7 that i like a lot yeah they're both kind of like you they have a bunch more cars like well than they bradley Brunel is basically West Coast Brad, because he's on the East Coast, he's Brad in the West Coast. It's true. And he has more cars than he knows what to do with, and he has more cars than he knows what to do with parked all over the place. Yes. So at least mine are all in the same state. He has cars parked in like three different states. Okay. So, yeah, he's we're basically the same person as far as our ridiculous amount of cars goes. So, in other stuff, I was cruising the interwebs this afternoon. Yes. And I noticed that on the Facebook page, somebody posted a... 3000 GT to the obscure cars for sale. And I was like, whatever, I'll just skip that post. Cause I don't really care too much about 3000 GT VR4s. Even though it was super clean looking in the pictures. And I was like, whatever. And then later in the day, apparently Jalopnik picked it up because this car was for sale for half a million dollars. Right. I thought it was a typo. It can't be a typo because the person typed out in the ad. Yes. $500,000 typed out. Well, in the like, it's a Craigslist ad, first of all. Yes. Which is obviously you would sell your legitimately $500,000 car on Craigslist, right? Yes. Um, I will but, cut you a check for a million and yeah. you just cut me back the difference. <laughs> but I saw it and I saw the 500000 in like the asking price and I was like, well, fifty grand is like reasonably is on reasonable. the high side. Yes. Like it's high for not a roadster, but it's a super clean unmolested last year VR4. There aren't very many of them. I can see asking $50,000 for one. Maybe. Is I it think, worth fifty? 
mm, Re- 35. Realistically, I would price one of those cars. The nicest one, probably 35, 30, 35. Like. Right. As in, like, and I don't want to say investment piece because they're not going to go up a lot, but as like a collector piece. Yes. Um, the Roadsters, maybe a little bit more. Yes. Um, but anyway, so I thought that it was a typo and he just like got, you know, a little egregious and added an extra zero when he was typing in his listing. But mm-hmm. yeah, it later on in the print part of the ad says $500,000 in I, letters. I know the parts are expensive for those cars and a lot of the parts aren't available anymore. Right. But you could build every remaining 3000 GT on the road for $500,000. Yeah. I don't know why he was listing out how much all the interior pieces cost and like... Like, I don't know where you're getting these pieces because they're not new. Uh, somebody's searching them around the world. Well, you remember, you, you had a story about a customer. Yeah, I, I did have a customer come in and buy parts of me when I was working at the dealership that would, I don't know, he was, like, restoring it, and he would just buy body paint. He was buying so many parts. At one point, I was like, listen, I'm just going to give you the body shop discount. Wholesale discount. Because you just, I just, I almost felt bad because he was spending so much money. I wonder if it's the same guy that did it when I was there. It wasn't even a VR4. It was a... I think this guy had a VR4. Okay. I had it's... a guy with an SL. He was buying all the, like, the Mitsubishi part-numbered screws. I had that guy. The yeah. He yeah. was like a Jamaican guy. Oh, no. this I had a different guy. I had a white oh. guy. Oh, okay. And he came in. He was like, uh, he's like, can I just show you under the hood? I was like, all right. He's like, I just want to buy all of these bolts. And he, like, like waved his hand over the under the hood, like, the engine compartment. <laughs> I was like, uh... All of them? I was like... <laughs> Oh man, I gotta, and then I forget. I forget how what I talked him into. I was like, yeah, you're like, like no. Here's a can yeah. of silver spray paint. Have at it. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to explain to him like how to like restore a car. I was like, you don't. I don't know. I see. My philosophy of restoring cars is a little different than the next person. Like I, well, if you were restoring a numbers matching Hemi Cuda convertible and you wanted to do something like that, it makes more sense. I yeah, I mean, I like when I try to put a car back together that. Especially one of these Mitsubishi's that doesn't have a lot of extra parts laying around anymore because they haven't been made. I try to source used parts from forums. Well, the other thing is is when you're restoring a car, if uh, a fastener is in generally good condition, you put all the fasteners together and you send them out and have them like zinc plated. Exactly. You don't buy all new ones. (laughs) No, because it gets really, really expensive really fast. Yeah. Like I know when I was putting the Galant back together... Unfortunately, because there are several part outs always seemingly going on at the same time, but I was able to source a bunch of nice original OEM parts that mine was missing right. and put mine back together. Far cheaper than trying to buy new ones, even though I had a discount. Yeah, you'd be like 15 grand to that car. Yeah. Try to buy everything from the no, factory. it's just silly. So I just found, I, my method is to try to find the nicest used pieces for the car that I can before I have to buy new ones. 100%. Yes, hundred percent. I hundred percent agree with you. That's the way I do it. Anyways, so I guess that's a good segue into project cars. I also, since it was such a nice weekend, spent the majority of the weekend uh, working on the Montero, restoring a Montero. Yeah, the '99 <laughs> Montero. No, it's not. It's not really getting restored because it's getting. I would actually call that like a sympathetic restoration. Yes. Like you're recommissioning a car that was kind of cast to the wayside like it's a nice solid car faded paint 
you know, the interior is dingy. Yeah. It's got some weird little things it needs. I yeah. wouldn't call it, it's not a restoration, but it's like a, it's a recommissioning. No, more than we're just else. bringing it back to life. Yeah. Giving it a second lease on life. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I swapped all the lifters. I well, changed we talked it. about this the past yes. few weeks. If you know, if anybody hasn't been listening, yes. it was making a knock in the motor. Yes. And we've talked about all the different things we've tested and yeah. So I swapped out. all the lifters. We bled them. I changed the oil. The noise is still there. It seems a little less. It does seem a little less. It the truck has tons of oil pressure because we hooked up a manual oil pressure gauge to the oil filter housing mm-hmm. and at idle, warm idle, it's like thirty psi, and then you it's healthy. You rev it up, it goes right up, it shoots right up to 80 PSI. Like, it's it's real healthy. Mm-hmm. No smoke, nothing. It starts right up most of the time, because actually we figured out what we thought was wrong. Was yeah, the, the coolant temp sensor. The coolant temp sensor for the ECU failed. Which is that same part number that every Mitsubishi has. Yeah. Up back, to, back to, like, my Sapporo has the same yeah. part number. It's the two-blade one that runs the, yeah. the ECU or whatever it was in the Sapporo. Yeah, so it... it like, we went to start it, and it was cold. It immediately went to low idle, like warm idle. Yeah, it was sputtering a little and bit. And then I tried to rev it up, and it would sputter and die. And then threw a check engine light, finally. And yeah. then you checked it. You plugged the scan gate, the, the gauge, and what did it say it was reading at? It said that the coolant, it was like coolant sen- sensor, like, either malfunction or out of range. It was like negative 40 degrees. Yeah, Fahrenheit. So, it, yeah. So, <laughs> it, basically, what that switch tells it to do is it says the engine's already, the engine's really, really cold. You need to Negative dump, 40 degrees. Yeah, I'm it, surprised it has any kind of reading for that at yeah, all. Yeah, you need to dump, a, the ECU needs to dump a ton of fuel in it to keep it running. Yeah, it was it was basically drowning itself. Yes. Like, you, you'd, you'd give it a little it actually, throttle. Now I think of it, it smelled really rich while it was trying to run. Yeah, it, it did, yeah, but you give it a little throttle, it would just stumble and die. Because yeah. it was just soaking the, the spark. So, regardless, I ordered a new one, and I will switch that this week. But we've decided that, um, well, my dad and I, we've decided that, uh, we think it's pretty strongly that it's just piston slap. Which you guys are very experienced with because your My fiance, fiance Subaru, Subaru does that with 200K just does it until all it the gets, time. Oh, it does it until it gets warm. Yeah, I mean like really warm. Like yeah. you can be driving the car for 45 minutes, then all of a sudden it gets quiet. But it will. It only gets like noisy at idle, which is the same thing. Yep. Once you've got some RPMs in it, it seems to be fine. So what's a common cause for a piston slap? So we. We think probably because the basically what happened to this truck is it got overheated from Arizona. They replaced the heads, put it back together. Actually, they refurbished the heads, put it back together, and then it was started making piston slap or it started making this noise. So probably what happened is that the aluminum piston inside the steel block or iron block warped. One of them. Yeah, a little bit of a oblong shape to it. Yeah. But I can't find, you know, I drained the oil out. We stuck a magnet under it. It was draining out. No metal flakes, nothing. Which is, we initially thought it was a bearing noise. Yeah. And, you know, as a bearing goes, when you lose a bearing, you have generally metal flakes. Yeah, because as the, the bearing wearing will, out. the bearing will wear out, and then it will you'll wear into the crank, and you'll have metal on metal. So I figured, you know what? I don't feel like taking the engine out right now. And as the kids say... We're just going to send it. Well, the thing runs. It runs. And it so, runs good. So so if you can put up a little bit of noise. Yeah, I'm just going to monitor the noise. Yep. Uh, the next oil change, I, I already have on hand one of those Blackstone Labs uh, oil testing kits. They will analyze your oil for all types of metal in it, and they'll give you a, an analysis. 
of what's yeah, going on of what's going on inside your engine by analyzing the oil. Yeah, they can tell what temperatures it's reached and yeah, exactly. what foreign bodies are in it. Yeah, they can find me- the metal in the oil that's dissolved in it. So the next oil change, I'll just drain a little bit of that into the sample kit and send it out, and we'll see what they say. Yeah, that's cheaper than putting a new motor in it. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that uh, I have Craigslist alerts, as one does, for Monteros. Mm-hmm. And the Sport model, which is the lower-end model, the smaller Montero. Smaller Montero, but it's based on the Triton pickup truck. It's actually got a lot of similarities to the first-gen Montero, does it not? Not really. No. Or is it the second-gen? Oh, whatever. No. But re- regardless, they use the same powertrain in a couple of the versions of it. So, as in your truck. As in my truck. Okay. Uh, so, and often up here, you get lower mileage trucks, but they are rotted out. Yep. And they're, like, dirty cheap. Yes, because they run, but they're completely unsafe because the frames are going to break in half. Yep. And I've seen a couple pop up lately that were like $500. Or run, less. Yeah. yeah. Runs and drives, frame rotted, four parts only. Yep. So basically... Yeah, it's, it's very common. I'm just going to keep my eye out for the right one, for the right price, with the 3.5 single overhead cam. Yeah, because some of those are like 100,000 miles or less. Exactly. And just yank the engine out of it and you know make sure it's okay. But then that engine swap can be done in a week and not a month. Probably while a weekend. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm counting taking it out of the junk truck, too. Oh, okay. Which will be difficult because it's rusty. <laughs> yeah. Well, the engine shouldn't be you too bad. Cut it out. Yeah. And what's the bonus that comes with that, too? Because what else if, does the Montero Sport have that you Yes. Want? If you get the right one, you can get the four, nine years out of the dips. Yeah. What's in your truck now? The My Year Monteros came with four twos. Okay. For better fuel economy. Okay. But it apparently makes them a bit sluggish. And the 4.9 wakes it up quite and a the bit. 4.9 wakes it up quite a bit, especially if you want to put like 32s or 33s in the truck. It's pretty much free horsepower at that point. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just ring and pinion swap. That way you can keep the rear diff locker. Yep. Uh, that's That sounds like a, a good plan. So we'll definitely keep our eyes out for that truck. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're around. Or I might even find another... Full-size Montero. With the same problem, a rotted full-size Montero, which actually might be better because that will have a New England interior, which won't be as sun-baked as yours. Actually, a lot of times what happens with those trucks is the fuel tanks rot away. Yes, and you can't buy them. No. So There was one not too long ago. It was a early second-gen down on the south shore. the fender flares. Yeah, it was like the guy wanted like 500 bucks for it. Mm -hmm. But he had a bunch of pictures on Craigslist. and I think he did have a picture of the top of the tank. And it was like, I could just see how rusty it was. I was like, that's not worth it. Nope. Because it was just... At the time, it wasn't. Now it would be. No, because I think he said it wouldn't run. Oh, okay. So it's not worth it. Actually, the early ones have a different engine, but some of them had the dual cams. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So they went to a dual cam and then back to a single cam? Oh, that's right. I did not know that. Yeah. But so yours is a single cam? Yes. Hmm. There's like a mid-year that actually has more horsepower, but it's got the flares, not the box flares. Like the bolt-on style flares. Yeah. And a little bit better gearing, actually. Yeah. So that is probably the four nines as well. Yeah. So the Weird. mid-year like SRs, there's some that are even more desirable, but there's even less of those around. Especially around here. Yeah. So anyway. Very strange. So but, the plan is just to drive it. Yeah, because... In worst case scenario, you need a motor, which you kind of might need a motor anyway. So yeah. if you drive it and it gets worse, the only thing that's going to get worse 
is the motor that you intend on replacing anyway. Yes. So if it runs and drives and doesn't smoke and has all the power it's supposed to have, yeah. why do the labor now? Exactly. Just drive it and enjoy it and get it ready for... Yeah. We'll just kick that down the can. We'll just kick that can down the road. Yeah, so. exactly. Anyway. Uh, but the 89, I still, I, did, I still didn't pull the radiator out. I'm going to do that tomorrow so I can have the radiator fixed because it's just leaking. Yeah. But it's annoying. I don't want to drive it with the leaking radiator. And eventually it's going to get worse. Yeah, and I want to be able to sell it, knowing that it's all all set. Safe truck for somebody to own and drive. Yeah. But in the meantime, probably in the week or so that it takes to fix the radiator, I'm going to swap the wheels and tires over to the other truck. To the 99? Because it has junk wheels and tires on it. Mm-hmm. And just drive it around, shake it down around town. Yeah, you might as well before you get to buy wheels and tires anyway. Yeah. If, and then, they have wheels, but buy tires. Yeah, exactly. So once it's all set and it's good to go, then I'll I'll buy tires for it. Sounds excellent. I wish I had a project car update, but I do not. You got nothing? Well, we finished welding the trunk floor into Jordan's STI. Yeah. Um, was a lot easier to do once we got all of the rubberized undercoat off the bottom yep. of the car. And you tried some thicker patch metal? Yeah, we had we used a 16-gauge. Uh, ideally, I wanted to use 18-gauge because it was closest to the... It's hard to find at Home Depot. Huh? Home Depot didn't have any, and I was kind of a, it was a Sunday afternoon, so it was my only yeah. choice was to go to Home Depot. So I used some 16-gauge, which isn't a big deal. It's just a little bit thicker. So it was a little bit challenging to mate it to the factory sheet metal because by the time you got the heat enough on the 16-gauge, it wanted to burn through the factory sheet metal Yeah, because it was that, that much thinner. But it, it worked out, and uh, it burned through a couple of spots because I'm not an expert, but, you know, I... Closed it up as much as possible. We hit it with some seam sealer after and call it a day. Yeah. So when I get my skills, welding skills up a little bit, I, I will take his car back in the garage and redo it. Um, but for now, at least it's not a rot hole anymore. Yeah. Well, what do you think about welding sliders on? That's easier because it's very thick metal. You're not going to burn through it. Okay. So welding to a frame is... Plus, when you're welding something on like sliders and you're doing like a butt weld... Like a, um, not necessarily a butt weld, but like a 90 degree weld to yeah. the channel. So yeah. you have a lot more material to work with. Okay. As opposed to what I was trying to do on Jordan's car was a butt weld. Yeah. So when you're doing a butt weld versus like a lap weld on sheet metal, yeah. you don't have much material to work with because you're doing the thin edge of the sheet metal to the thin edge of the sheet metal. Mm-hmm. So if you give it too much heat, you're going to burn the sheet metal away. Okay. So instead of actually welding it to the next piece, it just gets too hot and just melts like butter <laughs> so when you're doing like molten steel yeah I, yeah exactly like molten steel is what it is um but when you're doing something like the frame sliders you have a big thick chunk of metal and a big thick chunk of metal with a 90 degree you know surface to weld into so it's a little bit easier well i figured it was like uh kind of like a low risk thing for me to try yes it's very low risk like Worst case scenario. It's an you know, ugly weld underneath the truck. Exactly. We can grind it and paint it and call it a day. Yeah, well, we're going to have to paint them, so, but yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, as they say, the some people are welders, some people are grinders, and we are not ashamed to be grinders at the moment because we're new at this aspect of the hobby. So yeah. we'll get there eventually, but, you know, nobody makes a perfect bead their first weld. Well, I'm not going to lift the truck right away, so some slider is going to be useful. Yes, and not they, damage the. And they look cool too when you yeah. pull off the uh, you know battery running board style pieces. Yeah, exactly. there. So, yeah, I'm down. I'm down to help you do that, and I'll teach you what little I know about welding. You can learn l- learn your welding from me. So, but that's my project car update. Didn't work on my car. Worked in somebody else's car again. Story of my life. 
I have 15 broken cars, and I'm always working on other people's cars. I think we should, uh, oh, you just pick a car, and we'll just fix one. Yeah, we have a couple cars that are at that point, let's go do it. I also think we should just pull the bumpers off the blue Colt, but, because that's a free mod. We'll do it tomorrow night. Yeah. I'll bring it down. All right. Anyway, so, it is a question week. It is. And we have quite a few questions. Do you want to start with the ones on the main page or your page or my page first? Let's start on the auto off topic page. Okay. So Andrew put together a wonderful graphic with a picture of that Carmen Ghia from the cars, Seacoast Cars and Coffee this past weekend. I did. Um, and he so nicely asked our listeners. I asked. You, to I asked. As, 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 us, as us some questions. Um, we'll typo right there. As, that's our, as questions you are. As questions you are. So, the first the first listener to ask us a question um, would be that gentleman that we met this weekend, Steve Booten. Yes. Um, the man, again, who was looking for Watanabes. So, if anybody has 14-inch Watanabes, give him a, a hello and he might want to talk to you. Yep. Uh, but his question is, and it's kind of an interesting, funny question, would you rather daily a Donk Deloyan? Deloyan. DeLorean, yep. or a stanced Bricklin SV1? Mm. I had to think about it. I had the answer already. I got to go with the uh, Bricklin. Yes, 100% Bricklin. Because both cars are cool. Yeah. DeLoreans are good-looking cars. Yeah. And making a donk out of one would make it not a good-looking car. Right. Bricklins are not as good-looking of a car, but the I don't hate the aesthetics of stance. So it would still kind of make it a, a bad-looking car better. I don't like taking an actual performance car and seeing it stanced out, or yes. you call it. Um, but a car like a Bricklin that's more of a styling exercise than a performance car, <laughs> I think it would work out. And um, if anybody doesn't know what a Bricklin SV1 is, it's a, a fiberglass car from the 70s. Uh, SV stood for a safety vehicle. Oh, it had giant front had bumper, huge didn't Huge bumpers. Yeah. Um, fiberglass with gull wings? Fiberglass with gull wings. They had one of the first um, factory-installed rear-view ca- rear cameras. They had like a, a CRT they monitor? They had like a three-and-a-half-inch black-and-white CRT monitor in the dash. So they were, they were interesting cars. Um, all right, there's, there's, there's a story behind them, maybe not quite as interesting as a DeLorean story. But there is a story behind them. But I can picture rolling into like a cars and coffee event in a stanced out Bricklin. Just why not? Yeah, no, that'd be cool. <laughs> it's such a dumb car. You might as well do dumb car things with it. Whereas I like DeLoreans, and I'd hate to see one jacked up in the air, you know, as a dog style. Mm-hmm. So stanced Bricklin all the way. Yep. Next question. What was one failed concept car that you wish you could own today? And vice versa, what is one concept car that should have never made it into production? Okay, so the the car that should have never made it into production... I feel like it's an easier one to answer first. ...is the Prowler. No. The, well, that's my opinion. The Prowler in the iteration that it came out was wrong. Oh, with all the safety bumpers and all that stuff. If the Prowler came out with a proper manual gearbox and a V8, I think it would have been a whole different story. I guess. But the problem is it came out and had 
a 3.5 liter Chrysler Concrete motor and automatic only. So I think that's where it failed. Mm -hmm. Um, I would rather them have never made the BT Cruiser than the Prowler. Okay. Because I don't have to deal with seeing Prowlers on the daily. I do have to see PT Cruisers on the daily. Yep. So that is a, a no for me, the PT Cruiser. Um, as far as a failed concept car that I would like to have today, yeah, the Aerovet. Okay. Because... I don't love Corvettes, so I do like early Corvettes, but yeah. I don't like like 70s and 80s Corvettes. I've grown a little fond of the C4s, just because they're dumb, um, but I'm not like a huge Corvette fan that has to like stick with the traditionalism of a Corvette, mm-hmm. and the Aerovet was a mid-engine rotary Corvette. Okay. So I think that if GM did a mid-engine rotary car, that would have been cool. And it was cool looking. I mean, it was kind of dumb but cool looking so i don't know if you remember the car at all mm-hmm. but no i, I, I have a monogram model of it somewhere no i saw it. they have the car at the peterson oh do they really well they had it when i went it was on display because the the main one of the main rooms they have was all silver yeah i saw a silver one, but it wasn't in the room when i was there yeah that's cool I'm trying to think or of... i was just completely blinded by the mclaren f1 that was in the room and didn't notice the corvette i could maybe maybe <laughs> trying to think of a concept car that I would have liked to see. Um, concept cars are are interesting because they're concept cars, and you see them, and a year later you forget about them. So, yeah. I mean, the, actually... Or are we just talking about the Alpina, um, the Sunbeam? No. What am I thinking about? The Alpine? That's what? The Alpine 110? The A110. A110. The concept car. They made yes. the newer one? Yes. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I had, I had another one that I just thought of that might even be better than the Aerovet. What was two years ago? Nissan did that. The Datsun, the uh, Datsun five ten kind of retro car. I was also going to say that either. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool one too that I really wish they made because I would have definitely bought one of those. Yeah, <laughs> like I love you know the FRS and the BRZ as a rear wheel drive you know proper car that's cheap, fairly inexpensive and out there. But it's a sports car. I think if Nissan had done that, like you know. Two door sedan styling with a simple four cylinder rear wheel drive car. That would yes. be cool. So that's probably my, my main answer, actually, now that I think about it a little more. All right, next question. Jordan Mellum, owner of the famed Subaru STI with the hole in the trunk floor, yes. says, Your favorite movie hero car. I don't think Andrew has to even think about this. No, it's tough to say. Oh, I thought you were going to say DeLorean and I didn't say anything else. No, I mean that's that's a fun car, but um, it's funny that everybody, because I think I mean the Toyota pickup truck in that movie has probably like less than two minutes of screen time. But there's like replicas of it all over the place. Yeah, that's like the one everybody <laughs> loves. Actually, there's definitely more replica DeLoreans than there are the Toyota pickup trucks. Yeah. but um, I think that truck has gotten a little more recognition lately because Toyota actually used it in. Um, new Tundra or Tacoma advertisements. Yeah. They made that new version of it, so. Oh, man. A hero car, hero car. Um, trying to think outside of, like, the normal car movies. Outside of the box? Yeah. But, I mean. Well, I like the terrible Hot Rod 356 in King of the Mountain. Oh, yeah. That's a cool one. Yep. Oh, well, you know what I like? Um, I actually like the 55 in Tulane Blacktop. Yeah, that's 
definitely cool, which I think it's the same 55. It's the same one in American Feedy. Yeah. So that's definitely a cool car. A little outside the box. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, that's probably my favorite. Even though I don't like, I'm not big like into drag racing, just that type of cars is really cool. A flip nose 55. But we kind of have a weird thing for 50s and 60s style hot rods. Mm -hmm. So that, that fits that bill. Um, I'm not going to say that that particular 356 Porsche is my favorite. Um, it's up there. I don't know what my actual favorite movie hero car is because I like most of them. Um, but I'm going to go the Mitsubishi route because, you know, fanboys. Yeah. Uh, Cannonball Run, the original, mm-hmm. has the black flat side starion with uh, Jackie Chan driving it. And I forget the character's name, the actor's name, the big tall guy that played Jaws. Richard something. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember his name. he's in the back and he works all the little computer buttons like the smoke screen, yeah. oil slicks and yeah. all that stuff. So the, I, w- I would say the black Snarian. Okay. So. All right. Predictable. Which in the second movie, they kind of ruined it because they turned it into a Subaru Justy. Yes. Which doesn't really work for me. No. I love Subaru Justies. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if I was to choose a cannonball run vehicle, like to race from one side of the country to the other in the least amount of time. It wouldn't be in a 73-horsepower four-wheel drive Subaru Justy. Nope. So it kind of doesn't really fit the whole thing. Next question. You want to ask the next one? You got it up? Don't have it up? I don't have it up. All right. Go for it. Um, Adam Nielsen says, I've been musing over Conquest lately, as you should. That's all you. Um, As a guy who's never owned any Mitsubishis, what do I need to watch for when I'm looking at them? I don't know what part of the country Adam's in. Do you? I don't know. I don't. Okay. Well, just like anything, you want to look for rust, obviously. Um, They rust bad in the flared, if you're looking at a later car with the flared fenders, the flared rockers in front of the rear wheels, the flared rocker behind the rear wheels and over the rear wheels, Yep. and the back of the flared fender um, area. Also, is it the driver's side frame rail? The passenger side frame rail. Yep. Rusts on, on those all of them. on all of them, uh, no matter what coast you're on, because of an AC a lack of a good AC drain. So they get moisture on them and it just sits there. So check the passenger side frame rail. It's also not available anymore for that reason. Yep. Um other than that, mechanically, they're pretty solid cars. Um as long as it shifts good into gears, there's no real indications that it's gonna be a problem. Um check obviously for a Typical turbo problems, you know, white exhaust smoke when running, any of that timing chain noise, timing chain noise, um, any signs that it's been overheated, any weird leaks, head gasket leaks or anything like that. Um, Yeah, they can run hot. They do run, they do run hot and I would recommend an upgrade uh, to an aluminum radiator pretty much right away because that's always helped my conquest that I've owned in the past. Um, But yeah, they're, they're pretty stout cars. And parts are pretty readily available through the forums and Facebook groups, so don't uh, don't str- stray away from thinking you can't get parts because I've never had a problem getting parts. Mm-hmm. So there's enough of them out there, and there's enough people that have yards full of them that they're willing to pull parts and send them to you for fairly reasonable prices. Yep. So, all right, we have two more questions on the Ottawa topic page. Okay. Uh, Max Smith says, "Where do you see Mitsubishi in ten years?" Hopefully, still in the U.S. Uh, we've talked about this I, before. I think they're. I think they're going to do all right. That because that comes to uh, Frank Eck had a question for us too. 
we'll skip ahead to that question a little bit because we can answer them yeah, both in the same thing here. Exactly. So Frank Eck also asked, how many vehicles does Mitsubishi sell a year here in the USA and what percentage of the market is that? I'm not sure of the market percentage, but I did a quick look at Automotive News on their website, and they had a couple of reports that was around. Uh, their fiscal year ended sometime in March or something. It was something like they actually had a really good year. It was over 135 to 140,000 cars. Okay, so... 130,000 cars. That's not a lot. Through the whole line is not a lot because I saw that same number. Yeah. And I said, in comparison, I wonder how many. Now, this is a whole line. So you're talking every Mitsubishi they make yes. from Endeavors to. I'm sorry, Endeavors. Um, it's all Outlanders. Outlanders. And Outlanders. And Mirage. Lancers and Mirages. So there's across four cars, the entire product line. Yes. And they have 392 dealers in the United States. So it's 130,000 cars yeah. across four cars yeah. in the whole product line. Yeah. So I said to myself, I wonder how many Corollas Toyota sells. They probably sold double that. 360,000 Corollas. Yeah. Now, they still have um, more Camrys, Corollas, yeah. RAV4s, yeah. Tundras, Tacomas, yeah. you know, Priuses, Yarises. They have a whole, line of, a whole line of cars. So that one, one model, the Corolla, yeah. sold more than double the entire line of Mitsubishi's. Yeah. Um, but what they've been talking is that they're going to run lean for now. On purpose. On purpose. Because they don't have new cars ready to sell. Yeah. They have new cars as far as, like, a new built car. And, and I, but they don't have new cars as far as exciting new designs. Like, the Lancer came out in 08. Yeah. And I did. 07? What year was it? And I, Yeah. And I did read, too, that they are looking to cross-engineer vehicles with some Nissan products. Because they have now have a partnership with Nissan. Yes. And the former head of Nissan is now in charge of Mitsubishi. Well, that actually changed another guy. I think his name is Man. Last name Man. Oh, Gokin there is not in charge anymore? He put somebody else in charge. But he's still there. Yeah. So he pretty much rescued Nissan yeah. from the you know throes of death. So hopefully he can do the same with Mitsubishi. And if they intentionally run lean and they make it a profit at 100,000 cars, yeah. then they can stay here for as long as they want. The yeah. problem is you can't run your business the same way Toyota does yeah. when Toyota's selling millions of cars. Yeah. If you're only selling 100,000 cars, you have to change the way you do things. They do want to increase the dealer network to help sales. Yes. They, uh, they, this is all stuff I was reading in Automotive News. Uh, what else was there? Um, so the other thing, too, the partnership with Nissan and Mitsubishi actually made Nissan one of the third, like right after GM as one of the largest auto manufacturers. Yes. Uh, interestingly too, for Mitsubishi, the largest amount of sales worldwide was the United States. Was it really? Yes. Hmm. So there you go. Yeah. That's strange. I thought they were doing better in other markets, but they, they have good products in other markets. They don't sell here. And I think that it would behoove them to bring some of them here if they can get them. Some of the stories on Automotive News were talking about bringing small SUV. Well, they already have small SUVs, but. That's their bread and butter car. Small right pickup trucks. Sports. Honestly, I think that the next company to bring a good small pickup truck to the United States is going to do very well. You need to bridge that gap, my opinion, because F-150s, like. 1,500, let's say, half-ton pickup trucks Yes, are huge. They're ridiculous. Like, they are very big. Small trucks are the size of old half-ton trucks. Yes. Now, 
go to a, a, a Massachusetts, you're not going to see this so much. Like a Frontier is a good sized truck. Even a little smaller would be nice. Yeah. Um, but if you go to a, a market that's not Massachusetts, that's yeah. not a Rust Belt place, go to California, Southern California, you will see countless, countless, countless old small trucks running around, whether it be landscapers or painters or anybody that is a blue collar, you know, worker that doesn't need the payload. Yeah. Drives around in a small little pickup truck. Mm-hmm. They need to market a small little pickup truck again because people will buy them. If there's only one brand out there making a small little pickup truck, I'm pretty sure it will be successful because people will buy them, especially if Mitsubishi does it and they keep their 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Yeah. I mean, how many little trucks would they sell? Yeah. I think they would sell millions. I mean, yeah. maybe I'm wrong because I'm not in automotive marketing, but there hasn't been a small truck for quite a few years. The Ranger's gone. That was the last of them. Mm-hmm. And that was only sold to fleets. Mm-hmm. So even those fleets that bought hundreds of thousands of Rangers would probably buy hundreds of thousands of little Mitsubishi trucks if they sold them. Yep. And they if they have the truck in other markets. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of getting it, you know, crash tested and EPA certified. All right. So anyway. The, the next question. Ranting about Mitsubishi again, yep. as we always wind up doing. Yep. Uh, Joe Davis with a serious question. Yes. What are your thoughts on the growing popularity of retro styling in new era muscle cars? And why have there been no Japanese companies jumping on this bandwagon? Well, that is also very similar to uh, Philip Larimo. I think I'm pronouncing your last name right, Philip. Another rally crosser. He, ha- he asks, of all the crappy cars we resurrected with new models, PT Cruiser, HHR, Mini Beetle, how come nobody has come up with new Carmen Ghia? These are important questions. I'm glad you're answering them. Yes. <laughs> so it's sort of similar. So retro-styled models. What I would like to say to Joe, regarding yeah. no Japanese cars, is they definitely have them. Um, the, in, the, in the 90s, there was a whole market of retro Japanese cars. The Miata, um, the 350Z in the 2000s. Um, I think what he means, cars, though, that are specifically styled to look like older cars. Okay, the Miata. Okay, it looks like a Lotus Elan, but yep. uh, the um, I mean the marketing for the uh, FT eighty six and the uh, BRZ are like the AA eighty six. Yes, so eighties Corollas, eighties Corollas. But so those aren't really a styling. They don't look like an eighties Corolla. No, I mean I mean you're talking about the Mustang and the Challenger. They're very much Mustangs and Challengers. Yes. from the late sixties, early seventies. Um, I, I, I think there's a, there's a few things the, the Japanese companies do have some of that. Yeah. Um, but the simple fact that the Japanese companies don't have as long of an automaking history. They don't, well, and they don't have the heritage here in the United States yet. So, yeah. So U S automakers are playing off heritage and they're trying to market on that. Yeah. But they, they do, which is fine. Yeah. They do have some retro designs, just not as prevalent and they don't dwell as much on the past. No, which the Miata was based on a British design. Yeah, it was. It was a retro British design. Um, and why has it not been a Carmen Ghia built by somebody? Well, it would have to be built by Volkswagen. Yeah. Um, and they kind of... I mean, they made the Eos, which was like... The Carmen Ghia was not a Beetle, and it was not a Squareback, and it was not a Type 3. Yeah. And they had the Eos, which is like not a Beetle and not a Golf. It was kind of like a. But it was still a convertible. A little con- yeah, it was a weird. I don't think they made a coupe one. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's. It's definitely a 
retro Carmen gear or anything like that. But yeah. it's kind of that weird, like, sporty model that's not really a sports car to kind of sell to that market. Whereas I think the Carmen gear was kind of in that same that same market share in its time. It was, I don't need a practical sedan, but I don't want an all-out sports car. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't, other than the Miata, I can't think off the top of my head any... Like throwback design Japanese cars. Oh, Nissan Figaro, which I didn't sell here. That looks like God knows what that looks like. It's a weird little dot thing. Yeah. The POW, Nissan POW. Okay. I mean, that was a, a specific line of cars that were throwback cars. They looked like old cars. And you have, they have niche manufacturers in Japan, well, like you, Mitsuwaka, you that do, does very retro designs. You do have in the GTR. That does have throwback styling cues to other GTRs. I I disagree. I think the GTR is not even styled. I think that they just drew a box and cut the corners off of it. No, it has round taillights and stuff. It has similarities to yeah, older ones. I guess. There's there's a, a lineage. But that's why I brought up the 350 and 370Z. Because Those do they have, have a, a lot yes. of little things that I think the casual observer wouldn't catch. Uh, but things like the shape of the quarter windows... Is the same with the shape of the quarter window on a 240Z, yeah. and there's a lot of weird little things like so that. So Nissan's good at this. Yeah, apparently it's all Nissans. <laughs> Nissans and one Miata. Yeah. Is, a, is about it. Yeah, because I don't think Toyota cares that much. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the American cars have the, 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 they had marketing here in the 60s and 70s, and people like the 60s and 70s cars. Yes. So they've got to make new versions of them. There aren't enough people that are hankering for a 1972 Toyota Celica that Toyota's going to be like, hey, we can sell a billion of these if we make them look like 72s again because yeah. they're just not known enough. I think that's all it is. I think it's just know your market. Mm. All right. So, that's the last one on the off-topic page. the last auto off-topic page question. I'll move to your page. No, we basically answered the three that were on my page. Oh, yeah, because Phil and Frank were those yep. two. Yep, yep. So and the ones on your page. Go to my page. One last click here. Uh, Miles Cash says, as us, as us anything. Yes. Yeah, it's making fun of Andrew's typo. Which I'll never live this down. Yeah, life, is, life is going on. Uh, Alexander Grabau. Uh, Alice Grabau, who we obviously know from a couple weeks ago's podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are American special edition cars always focused on aesthetics? Do you expect the STIRA to be as lame as I do? First part, first question, why are they focused on aesthetics? That's a simple answer. Because people bought them. Yeah. And they said, screw it. People are buying them anyway. Let's just keep doing it. The the, the quickest example I can think of this is mid-70s muscle cars. Oh, yeah. Through GM was like, hey, we're going to make a Z28, but we're not going to do anything except for put a Z28 sticker on the hood. Yeah. And people still bought them. Yeah. Well, they were building on heritage. Yeah. Z28s used to be, well, early Z28s were performance-orientated. Yep. Then the Malays era, they were not. Correct. I mean, at least they're back to it now, but... Yeah, and that's that's just the simplest thing I can think of. Is yeah. People still bought them, so they said, screw it, we don't care, we're just going to do this. Yep. And they did it for a long time. Even every car line, the, the Chevy Citation, yes. they had the X11. The first couple of years, X11 had different struts, different sway bars, had a little more performance as far as handling goes. The last couple of years, X11, just stickers. 
Yep. <laughs> no, no reason for it other than stickers. Uh, second part of the question, do you expect the S-T-I-R-A to be as lame as I do? I don't know anything about it, but I do kind of think that all of the new SDIs are a little on the lame side. I don't know. It It's going to supposedly come on the carbon fiber roof. They're back to the gold BBSs. Okay. Speaking uh, of heritage. Yep. And going back to the no Japanese cars of heritage, there's one right there. I, yeah, I guess they're building on their old rally heritage. Um, but I don't think the new WRX looks anything like a GC. No. Doesn't have any styling. Doesn't look at anything like anything. It looks uh, like a Corolla. They in, they are pulling back that RA badge, which is from the first gen WRX. Yep. Which apparently stands for Rally Applicant. Right. It would be kind of like the um, RS RS in on the Mitsubishi line. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they haven't released any performance numbers. Uh, so at least they're making it lighter with a carbon roof. That does improve handling. Okay. So. Maybe it will just be handling. I mean, it, Subaru needs to do something with the STI to kind of bring it into... Well, if you think back to most of... They haven't made any improvements to the engine or well, horsepower. Most of Subarus or Japanese high-end cars, as far as the performance model, so you have an Evo and you have an Evo RS. Yeah. You have an STI, you have an STI IRA. They've, nev- they've never been more horsepower, per se. It's always been focused on lighter weight and basically lighter weight you know an evo rs and an evo gsr had the same motor just the rs had you know crank windows and no radio yeah <laughs> so it's no I, trunk trim that, that's kind of always been the way it is i i'm not a fan of the stis or the wrx's in general since the i don't know early 2010s whatever whatever for the body style changed yeah. to, the 05 06s i guess after that is really i'm not really into it too much so I consider them kind of lame anyway. Mm-hmm. But as far as it goes, a special edition, if it's lighter weight, there's no negatives to making cars lighter. No. So I'll take it. Uh, Justin Hughes, for the eighth week in a row, asks us, what's the airspeed of airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? To which I responded to his question already that he is speedily on his way to a lifetime ban. Uh, and we're not going to answer his question anymore. No. So Justin... Continue to ask the question. Yes. We like having that, but you're never going to get an answer again. Um, Chris Dorado, who still refuses to join Facebook and uses his wife's login, and we'll harass him a little bit for that because he says he doesn't know how to use Facebook, but he has no problem using it under his wife's name. Yes. Um, So Chris Dorado, under his wife's name, says, would you recommend stepping backwards, vintage-wise, for a daily driver? say, from an 04 to a 97 to 0 model your vehicle, or always move forward. Chris, you're asking the wrong crowd. Yeah. I mean, Drive what makes you happy. Don't think about anything else. No. I mean, I'm pretty fine with daily driving for me, anything that's like from the mid-90s to 2000s. I'm it's, fine daily driving anything from 1896 to 2017. Oh, so. Brad, why are you late? Oh, I had to fire up my steam engine. <laughs> if I could do it, I would. Trust me. Um, you, do, can listen, you believe it? They don't have any coal. I know. I know. All this all this coal has been processed into oil and gasoline. Where can I get raw coal? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I think that you, we're the wrong people to ask that question, or I specifically am the wrong person to ask that question. And, and I think both of us can agree that drive what makes you happy. 
don't even think about anything I know why else. he's asking it, because he's looking at a... He's looking at getting rid of his, his Suburban. For a second-gen Montero. Right. Which we're obviously also going to agree is a good idea. I think he'd be perfectly fine and happy driving that around. Yeah. I think he'd be more happy than driving a Suburban around. Yeah. A little bit better mileage. Tiny bit. Not much better. Probably pretty similar. Yeah. Um, but his wife has a newer minivan that's perfectly reliable. Yeah. He has a company vehicle that he drives every day. Yeah. So it's not like he needs to rely on this thing every single day, all the day. But it would be fine. He'd be fine with it. And and I think I, I think most importantly, our credo here should pretty much be drive what makes you happy. Exactly. We drive old crap cans. We're happy with it. We enjoy it. It makes it makes us who we are. So. All right. Next one. We're getting last, a little long here. So last right. one. All right. Pushing, pushing, pushing forward. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Nutt, what automotive-related life goal that you are currently working on, or what is an automotive-related life goal that you are currently working on or maybe should be? Hmm. I'll let Andrew answer this one first because mine is probably well-known because this podcast is brought to you by Vintage Imports of New England, yes. Brad's company. He's trying to build into something. Uh, I guess um, I would like to... See some WRC races or WRC rallies okay. in Europe. That'd be a nice thing to see. As far as like bucket list items, absolutely. Uh, I mean, they're a goal to go see them. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see Le Mans. Um, there's a bunch of racetracks I haven't been to. Like most of them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neither one of us have been to many racetracks in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Racetrack touring, I don't know. Well, some people go to, you know, ballpark touring. Yeah. So we Automotive tourism. Tour. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe you have an idea there. Yeah. It could be an automotive tourist agency. Yes. Automotive travel agency. Yeah. Well, my main automotive-related life goal is getting my business up and off the ground. Yes. Um, I'm a year in. It is up and off the ground. It's just, you know, taking that next step and becoming self-sufficient and not having to have another day job to help, you know, pay the bills um, is one of them. Um, And the other life goal, I think, is just... Building more cars, just continuing to be happy as a car guy and building cars and having fun cars and mm-hmm. racing cars. That's it. All right. So thanks, Jeremy. It's a good question. All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's uh, plug our social media. I have an important plug today to do before you we do, do social media. Um, my lovely wife, Deb, is... Finishing up, as we speak, as we're talking on this podcast right now, she's in the final stages of publishing her first, her second book, her first children's book. Yes. Written and illustrated by her. Cool. Um, It's called Yankee the Fish. Yes. Yankee as in like, you know, we're all Yankees up here because we're the North. Yep. So Yankee the Fish. Um, It's going to be available on Amazon for purchase of a physical copy and digital copy. Mm Mm-hmm. And Kindle formats. So if you do read children's books with your kids on Kindle, you can get it there as well. Um, is he a, is he like a codfish, like as a New England fish? He's a fish. Okay. Uh, without giving away too much of the story, yeah, he's a fish that starts his life in New York. Or excuse me, not he, she. Yeah, he is a she. Okay. She's a fish that her and her mother start their life in New York, and they wind up in Boston in the end. Okay. So... It's a very cute book. It's a very, um, I do say so myself. It's, right. a, it's a very good story. It's a very fun, short, little children's book read. And the whole thing is like almost musical and you read it out loud. 
All right. Um, and she Excellent. learned to draw for this. So uh, Yankee the Fish, it's going to be on Amazon and Kindle. Should be available, if not by the time you hear this, within the next couple of days, as soon as all the stuff goes up. Um, but please give it a purchase. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, give it to somebody you know. Um, it's, it, I'm pretty proud of her. So cool. Good job, Deb. Uh, so it's Yankee the Fish by D.A. Flanagan. Awesome. Sorry, a little off topic there. No, that's fine. A little not auto off topic. No. Well, <laughs> as we've learned, a lot of people that listen to this podcast have children. Yes, they so do. Maybe we're, they look, have, we're looking at you, Dave. <laughs> no, maybe they don't have like real, real young children, but uh, oh yeah, Dave did. Yeah, he had, yeah. Two, he had two children yeah. and his wife there with him. So That's right. Because what our car is uh, more than a family event. Yes. Uh, so social medias. Uh, you can find me uh, at Raced in Anger. Uh, you can find the podcast uh, on Instagram at uh, Auto Off Topic, on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast. You can email the show at autooptopic at gmail.com. Um, what else? Oh, I've got something else coming up that I'll announce next week. Somewhere else you'll be able to find me. Pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's pretty I'm cool. sure you are. Um, I think that's about it. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Vintage Imports of New England. Find us on Instagram at Vintage Imports of New England, also on Facebook, um, and Vintage Imports uh, NE. Dot, sorry, Vintage Imports New England.com. Okay. Yes. Sometimes I forget my own website. Yes. Pretty good, huh? All right, everybody, thank you for listening. Yes. Keep your cars analog. <laughs>